Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. PFTOT Monday edition, things that we either didn't get to during PFT Live or things we'd like to talk about a little bit more. And, Chris, that's where I'm going to start, for starters. The Patriots offseason review that we took a look at, the the notion that a first-round pick was entrusted to receiver in Keel Harry, we talked about how this could work out great for the Patriots, but we need to remember the history here. Under Bill Belichick, the Patriots have not had a great experience drafting receivers high yes they found julian edelman in round seven and matthew slater who's been a great special teamer in round five but for the most part when they go round three or higher on a receiver it doesn't work out first time in the belichick era a first round pick is used on a receiver and we need to factor that in because when it comes to picking receivers in the draft it may be that bill belichick isn't as good at that as he is at everything else. Well, maybe. I think it's a fair question. I mean, certainly for a guy who seems to be on top of everything and so smart football-wise. But, yeah, you you go through history. Um, you know, who am I leaving out here? I know there's Aaron Dobson. When I was working in New England, we drafted him at a Marshall in the second round. He never really played at all uh, in his time in New England. In the third round, it was who? Josh Boyce at a TCU that same year. You know, he'd never really got a chance to play or do anything special. Um, I'm blanking on the guy's name, the Jackson kid from Florida. Chad Jackson. Chad from Florida. Jackson, right. Sorry. And I played with him in Denver. That's even more of a shame that I couldn't remember his damn name. He doesn't remember your name either. He, he shouldn't. I wasn't worth remembering. But either way, that was another guy that looked was looked at as kind of being a bust for uh the New England Patriots. So yeah, I get the they get that point of it. We'll see how it works with Nikhil Harry. I really think it's the perfect fit for the way they play football. I really think it's gonna be more of a big slot. He's kind of like a he's like a an in-between group. Gronk and Julian Edelman type animal, if that makes any sense, Mike. He's a guy that's got quickness, but has some great size to him. Not as big as a Gronk, but he can work the middle of the field and off a play action pass, catch the ball down the middle, be fearless and make people miss. I think that's the beauty of the player overall. You know, it reminds me a little bit of what they were saying about Brandon Cooks when they traded for him. Hey, maybe they're going to groom him to become the slot guy. He'll be the next Edelman. Maybe Harry becomes the next Edelman. But regardless, they need somebody who can attract extra attention because with Gronk not there, Edelman's going to be the guy who gets double covered. And I don't know that he can consistently get open against double coverage if that's the guy the defenses decide to try to take away. But it's a fair point. For as great as the Patriots have been, that's been the one flaw when it comes to drafting. When they go high for a receiver, it hasn't worked out. And they're going all in on Harry being the guy that helps transform this passing game at a time when the pass – it always seems like their passing game is in flux. Yeah. But it feels like it's in more flux this year than usual. Yeah, they're, they're, missing, they're missing some key pieces. I mean, you know, again, like guys like Danny Amendola not being there, you know, for the second year and then Chris Hogan, those are, you know – you know, what do you want to say? Trust tree receivers for Tom Brady. They're in the trust tree, the circle of trust. He always knew where they were going to be. They were smart. They understand the offense. But I think as a whole still, 
it's not a bad receiving roster. It's really not. You know, Philip Dorsett's still a pretty good football player. You know, Julian Edelman's, of course, you know, still got a, a, extreme talent and has a cr great niche as far as how they develop plays and schemes around his skill set. So that's nice to go along with it, too. They got to figure out tight end, like we've talked about during the show a little bit. But I really would be shocked if Nkeel Harry didn't work out, Mike. I really would. You know, I just feel like New England – uh, they, they have found a way and have a vision of all things with Belichick at this point of his career where I just feel like they know what fits for them, what works for them, and would be shocked here if it didn't work. I know we talk about some of their bust in the draft at receiver, but, damn, they've had some good players that they have found, you know, via free agency late in the draft, Deion Branch, Randy Moss, Wes Welker, you know, Gronk in the second round, Aaron Hernandez. They've done a lot to help the passing game, but you're right, haven't had the greatest, you know, luck with high draft picks at wide receiver. A lot of new names, too, guys. They've added at receiver via free agency. Bruce Ellington, Maurice Harris, Jacoby Myers, Demarius Thomas, who I think is 50-50 at best to make the 53-man yes, roster, right. a guy they've been linked to for a while. But it's going to be a very different passing uh, game for the Patriots, although one big similarity, Tom Brady, still the guy distributing the football. Yep. Right. Much has been said in recent weeks regarding Buccaneers defensive tackle Gerald McCoy. Much has been said about him. Much has been speculated about whether or not he could be traded, whether or not the Buccaneers would actually cut him. McCoy hasn't said much as he's been away from offseason workouts. He broke his silence over the weekend on social media. Here he is. Cinco de Mayo. Everybody out. Probably get ready to go drink. Probably drink it right now. Don't matter. They want to question me. That's what I do on Cinco de Mayo. I work. I work. Oh, and I got my kids with me. How many people doing that? All pro on and off the field. Want to question me. The heck? Is he going to be ready? Do he love football? What? Gerald McCoy laying it down. And look, here's the thing. I... If, if he wants to be with the Buccaneers, he should be at off-season workouts because if you're going to work out, you may as well take the insurance policy that goes along with it. He's got $13 million riding on the possibility that in that ramshackle gym where he's working out, he injures himself. He can't play this year. They don't have to pay him. If you're going to suffer a fluke injury, suffer it at the team facility. This isn't about voluntary or involuntary. This is about free insurance that goes along with being at the team facility. If you're going to be out there busting your butt, I'm glad he's working hard. I just worry about that risk, Chris. Blown Achilles, popped ACL, whatever the case may be, bye-bye $13 million. Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a fair point, Mike, that you bring up. I mean, that's certainly he is risking a lot there. Yes, if he gets hurt on his own time, uh, they, they can make a big stink about it and take money away or not pay him money, whatever it may be. But he's not happy right now, and he doesn't want to give the organization his services for, you know, not being there. You know, as far as or he doesn't want to give, he wants to figure out what the future entails. He's here. He's hearing, oh, I might not be on the roster. I might be traded. He doesn't know where that's going. And the other thing is this. We shouldn't question guys like Gerald McCoy, though. And a lot of the veteran players that we see missing, you know, voluntary workouts and things like that. You know, again, Gerald McCoy, with the point he is in his career, right, it's nine years in the NFL, he understands what it takes to be ready for an NFL football season. Also, with guys like this, Odell Beckham Jr., Gerald McCoy, who have proven 
that they are successful and know what it takes to be successful in the NFL, you know, yeah, they have a little money in their pocket too. So a lot of the times, yeah, they're willing to pay a few extra dollars to have their own personal trainer instead of one guy who's training 90 players and all different positions and trying to piece together workouts this way to where, yeah, the guys who have earned their stripes and made a little money, they go, no, screw you. I know what I need to do to train, and I'm going to get a guy that specifically makes me good at my position. So that's also the battle that's fought sometimes with, with these type of players in these scenarios, Mike. And I think also there's a business angle to it because even though the salary is $13 million, it's not guaranteed. And yeah. what could happen to a guy like Gerald McCoy, he shows up, he puts in the work, and then a week or two before the start of the regular season, they come to him and they say, we want to pay you $6.5 million right. instead of thirteen. And if you don't take that pay cut, you're gone. Good luck finding someone else who will pay you $6.5 million two weeks before the start of the season. And, and I think that he probably is looking for certainty, financial certainty, whether it comes from a trade to a new team or the Buccaneers saying, here's a deal where you know what you're going to get this year and we are committed to you and we still want you to be part of the team. I mean, Bruce Arians has openly talked about how as a guy gets older, the skills start to diminish, the money goes up. At some point, you have to make that very tough and ruthless and dispassionate decision to say, we're just moving on to somebody who is younger and cheaper. That's the way the system is in the NFL. It may not seem fair to the guy who's been around for a while. That's just the way it is, though, Chris. No, it is. It's the way it is. And he's hitting that fine line of, yes, it's nine years in the NFL, going into year 10. He's making $13 million a year. Yes, is he worth that? You know, injuries, uh, things like that. The body's starting to get beat up. He's had little issues like that over the last few years. So I think all that comes into play. I think when all said and done, though, he's still going to be in Tampa or at least playing for at least one more year. I really do. I'd be shocked. I mean, I just, again, He's still a really good football player. I'm not going to say he's one of the best defensive tackles in the NFL anymore, but he is still really good. And I look at Todd Bowles at defense and just go, well, you know, there's not, you know, a ton of difference makers in the interior D-line. Uh, I think they would want to get Bruce Arians and Todd Bowles off on, on a good foot in their first year in the NFL or with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and would want to keep a, a guy like McCoy around. Mike Mayock's first year as general manager of the Oakland Raiders resulted in drafting multiple Clemson and Alabama players, the two teams that made it to the national championship game, the two premier programs right now in college football. And Chris Mayock, in explaining to Albert Breer of SI.com the mindset, he eventually said, I said to somebody, and I remember thinking to myself, if you just draft from these two teams, you're going to do well forget the rest of the country. And like that's overly simplistic. I know the Washington franchise is like piling up all these Alabama players, I guess, under the thinking that, hey, if you have enough of these Alabama guys, they're, they're going to dominate the way they did at the college level. But the Patriots and the Rams combined, we did the research ahead of time. You, you, you were making your morning run to the little boys' room. Right. Do you have any idea how many Rams and Patriots went to Clemson or Alabama combined? The two teams that went to the Super Bowl. How many Clemson and Alabama players are on those two rosters? Okay, so right off the top of my head, the only guy I can think of right away is Dante Hightower. So give me a second. Mark Barron was on the roster, so there's two players. And, okay, so I think that's it. I'm going to say those two. 
There's a third one with the Patriots, or a second one, rather, with the Patriots to make it three overall. So, look, I don't think that just glomming on to guys who come from the best college programs is going to mean anything at the next level. And that's due to a dynamic that we've spoken about in the past as it relates to quarterback play. When you're the quarterback of a great college team and you have blue-chimp, high-end talent all around you, what? of course – you're going to be good. It's uh, it's uh, Matt Leinart at USC, right? You you get an you get an artificial boost in in how good a quarterback looks when you've got sure. a great offensive line, right. a great set of receivers, a great set of of running backs, and I think that may be part of the problem with some of these Clemson and Alabama players that some of those guys may not be as great standing alone as they would be if as part of this machine. That are that becomes the two best teams in college football. So I, I don't. I, I think it's overly simplistic. Yeah. But uh, you know, I look. I understand. Hey, greatness should be attracted to greatness. But I just don't know that we can say Clemson, Alabama means automatic greatness in the NFL. No, definitely not. I get. I you know, and and what you're saying is correct. Yeah. As a unit, these Alabama players are even more special when they're all together. And then yeah, you break off in the NFL, and they don't have as many special players around them on the comparative level as far as the NFL moving to college and all of those things. But damn, there's a whole lot of good football players from both of those schools. We know that. Their factories. I mean, hey, Clemson's taking the crown. I mean, it was Nick Saban in Alabama, and I said, man, who is ever going to be the team that's going to come in here and and you know challenge Alabama? And we know who it is. And I think they have started their own run here and their own dynasty. And watch out, they got it rolling. But I think at a base level, what Mike Mayock's saying is true. I mean, he's trying to say like, you know, hey, these guys they come from two programs. They're battle tested, played in a lot of big games, have been around other NFL type players and talents they've been coached to be physically tough mentally tough and I think that from that aspect that's where these players really shine to NFL executives and coaches because they know they're getting guys who love football and are going to come in and be no nonsense guys on in practice on a weekly daily basis that's where the love for the the Clemson Alabama players comes because their coaches Sweeney and Nick Saban uh, run no nonsense programs the Chicago Bears may want to consider looking to a former Clemson or Alabama kicker because as of right now, the Bears have nothing. Consider this, Chris. They had eight kickers at the rookie minicamp this weekend. They had all eight try a 43-yard field goal at the end of a minicamp practice on Friday. Two out of eight <laughs> made it. Two out of eight. Now, multiple of the guys were there on a tryout basis. There were four kickers on the roster. Two of them have been cut. So right now there's still two left. I, I don't know what the Bears are going to do here, but it shouldn't be that hard to find a guy that can kick. The supply outweighs the demand. And I don't know whether it's become a mental thing for the guys who are there with the Bears, but they got to find somebody who can overcome that and forget about that and move on. Yeah, they had the double doink in the playoffs. So what? Yeah, they're having a hard time finding a kicker now to replace Cody Parkey. So what? There's got to be a guy out there with the the leg, the accuracy, and the swagger to come in and say, forget those guys. I'm here, and we got it under control now. They just have to find that guy. Yeah, right. I think that's it. They just have to find that guy. And I'm not going to sit here and lie to the, the fans or anybody. I'm not studying the kicking market. I'm really not, and that's not coming anytime soon. I'm not going to be able to sit there and tell you, well, this guy's leg from 40 yards out is more special than this guy who's better between 30 and 40. I don't know. Uh, I do believe they will find the right guy as the offseason continues. Yeah, they got to find a guy who
who can really, more than anything, at least in my estimation, is like you said, Mike, handle the pressure. That's what's happened with this position in Chicago right now. There's a stigma around it. And these kickers who are going into OTAs and these mini camps or whatever else, they know there's a microscope, not only by the organization, but I've never seen a micro microscope from the fan base on the kicking position as much as I've seen in Chicago the last two years. Even before the double doink, this was a huge, huge issue in that city. So I think those kickers, as I've said before, kickers are the only ones, in my opinion, in football that are really have a pressure-packed job. Everybody else in football is it's reactionary based, right? Tom Brady's for as clutch as he is. He has 9 million things he has to think of on a game winning drive. He's not dropping back to pass going, oh my gosh, this is fourth and 10. Oh gosh, this is a big play. He's at the line of scrimmage going, oh, okay, I got a blitz. I got to check this. I got to tell the offensive line this. Let me signal the wide, re wide receiver set hut. Oh gosh, there's a guy coming off the edge. Let me shuffle. Let me move out of the way. Oh, let me give him my first read. Let me give him my second read. Oh, my second read's open. Let me throw it. Boom. So there's there's no time to react to pressure. Kickers, on the other hand, as we know, sit there and all they do is think about the magnitude of the moment and they got to find somebody mentally strong. Yeah, they know what's coming. They know what they're going to do. There's one option and they just have to go do it. And the process for, for people who like, you know, if you go and you kick it in your backyard or whatever, the ball's sitting there on the tee for a guy who is kicking in a game. As you are getting ready to do it, the ball's not there. The ball doesn't arrive right. until right. you are ready to kick it. it. It would be like throwing darts, right? As you're getting ready to let go of the dart, then all of a sudden the board shows up. That's how challenging it is to kick that ball. And you never quite know whether the ball is going to be in the right spot, laces out, laces in, leaning yeah. left, leaning right. You got to account for all that in a nanosecond and make it work. But there's got to be somebody out there. I, I would get creative if I were the Bears. At this point, screw it. I'm going to be ultra creative. I'm looking for guy who's got the brain, yeah. guy who's got the swagger. I'd give Sebastian Janikowski a call and say, can we throw some money at you and get you to reconsider your retirement? Good idea, Mike. I would cast a very wide net on this, and I would want – it's more about the guy than it is the leg because yeah. you need a guy that can deal with it. All right, we got one more before we wrap up this PFTOT. The New York Giants, we talked so much, and we spent a lot of time in the show talking about this, the pressure on Daniel Jones, the pressure on Eli Manning, the pressure on Dave Gettleman, the guy who picked Daniel Jones and who decided to stick with Eli Manning. But what about the guy who is coaching the team, entering year two of his offense, entering year two of his tenure, Pat Shermer? He's the guy that's got to keep Eli Manning in the moment. He's got to keep Daniel Jones in the moment. He's got to placate Eli while he's grooming Daniel Jones, while he's trying to win enough football games so he doesn't get fired. I think Pat Shermer should get a raise just for having to to spin this many plates as he's trying to put together a football team that will be competitive and an NFC East that features the Cowboys and the Eagles. Yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I'm with you. I mean, Pat Shermer, it, it's not been easy since he's taken over the New York Giants. I mean, he had to deal with the Odell Beckham Jr. situation and some things there last year. A lot of different personalities, uh, of course, in that Giants locker room. Yeah, they didn't win football games. There's the Eli Manning issue. 
he's had to deal with that, balancing that out with not only his own locker room, but the media and, and really trying to put a positive spin on it at times. I think he's done a great job with all of those things. And really, again, I was a fan of Pat Shermer being hired by the Giants. I'm still a fan of where he is right now. I really do. I have belief uh, with his offensive system. First off, he, he believes in running the football, and they've improved their offensive line, and they got the best running back in football, in my opinion. That's going to make things easier on Eli Manning or Daniel Jones or whoever it may be that's playing quarterback for the New York Giants. But I do think Shermer, with that dedication to the run game, you know, the pass game showed creativity. You've seen it. You saw it in 2017 with your Minnesota Vikings, their ability to push the ball down the field, coming off of play actions and boots and things like that. Shermer's offense is very well-rounded. I think the big thing is, and if we want to see results, there's got to be one better player from the quarterback position. And two, hey, I won't lie. You know, the pass protection's not good, hasn't been good enough either for the quarterback to really be as successful as you'd like him to be. And I think those are things Shermer's got to get fixed this year. All I know is this. When Mike Holmgren's advice to Pat Shermer is you've got to calm down, that tells me Pat Shermer's wound a little tight because Mike Holmgren was wound as tight as anybody, and Holmgren was Shermer's boss during Shermer's two years with the Cleveland Browns, which didn't turn out very well. But, look, he did well enough, and we see this all the time. A guy does well enough as a coordinator to get himself in position to be a head coach, but what he does as a coach can be a very different thing, and the heat is going to be on Pat Shermer this year. I'm not saying he's on the hot seat. I'm not saying he's in danger of being fired, but he is definitely in for a challenging season because this is that weird transition between Eli and Daniel Jones, and it would not be smart to move on from Pat Shermer after this year because you need someone there who can work with Daniel Jones. But right. I think they're going to realize fairly early, and Chris, I keep going back to that over-under that was set by the sports book in Las Vegas that opens on June 1 over under of seven and a half starts for Daniel Jones this year I think somebody knows something and I think at at some point instead of letting this linger with Eli Manning they just have to rip the band-aid off and go forward with Daniel Jones if you believe in him enough to make him the sixth overall pick in the draft then you believe in him to be your quarterback and why why leave the door open for Eli to play well enough that you're under a lot of pressure to bring him back again next year I think the sooner they move to Daniel Jones the easier everyone's job is going to be including Pat Shermer yeah uh, I'm not not going to argue much there I think the big thing will be on Daniel Jones it's going to be his ability or on his ability to provide in the preseason and show the fans and the team that okay there's something worthy here this kid's got something he's got some talent if he plays well I'm not saying he's going to be the week one starter but I think if he plays well and has a good training camp and they go okay we like what we see of this guy if the Giants falter early in the year I think they will just move on to Daniel Jones. I mean, if they started out two and four or something like that, I think that's when the move happens. But um, I don't know. I think it's going to have to take something like that for them. I I just feel like Eli is going to get a chance to play and prove that he can still do it one more year. And I think it's going to take probably a number of failed opportunities for not only the fan base to finally swallow that fact, but the Mara family, the Giants organization, the Tishes to finally go, okay, Eli, you've been so amazing. You're so great. We love you, but it's officially over and we get a new guy and come in. When does that happen? What does it take to make it happen? I think are the big questions with the Giants. 
All right, here's what happens now. We say goodbye belatedly because we do the extra show beyond the end of PFT Live. You've got Chris Sims on button just two this week. Did just I see two. that Tuesday, Thursday? That's right. We're going to switch it to Tuesday and Thursday. It's the off season. There's no reason to do three pods a week. We're going to try it out this way and, uh, you know, maybe let an extra day of news cycle come out to where we have more things to talk about this time of the year. I don't know. You're already working four days a week. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, more power to you. More power to you. When you move out of your house for a job or have to leave your house, you can start talking about me in four days a week. Until you're out you of your You drive five minutes. Are you wearing pants right now? That's what I want to know. Yes, I am. Okay. Yes, you want to stand up and prove that to me? No, I don't. <laughs> All right. Uh-huh. Tuesday, Tuesday, Thursday, it's Chris Sims unbuttoned. Uh, and uh, I'm going to go get dressed. See you tomorrow with another edition of PFT Live, PFTOT, PFTPM. We're still doing at least three per week of PFTPM. Although Chris has given me an idea. Maybe I'll cut down to two as well. Hey. We'll see. See you tomorrow. Everybody have a great day. See Chris, ya. good job. See you. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024, pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024, cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution.